as we were driving through this gated community my parents lived in, I get we get pulled over. I get escorted from my vehicle to the back of one of theirs. And I'm sitting in the back. And within a minute from me getting pulled out of this car, there's a whole row of, of like undercover detectives and agents. And there's a dog in my car and he's not my dog. And I don't know how this all happened, but it was just like a snap of a finger. I'm looking back there, watching all of this go down. And then here comes my mom driving it because she's, she was wondering where, where I was. And I had called in 20, 20 minutes prior. And I see her talk, put their window down and talk with one of the uh, detectives. And, and then I saw her drive by. And the only thing I can describe it as I've unfortunately have witnessed is a, is a mother standing over her son's, her son's casket the sadness and the, uh, the pain disgust that was in her face. It, it looked like she was, she was mourning her, her, uh, her son. And, and, um, and there was something inside of me that broke right there that day that I didn't know that I still had. And it, it, it cried out not involuntarily it said, God, you know, help me. I don't know how I can, I don't know how I'm going to continue to live like this. You know, I'm ready to do whatever it takes. The weirdest thing happened. And, and, for for some reason, those people in AA came to my mind. At this time, I'm 23 years old, and I'm um, I get put in a federal detention facility. I'm facing 929 months. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12-step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride, take what you want, and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Hello, boys and girls. Well, you are in for a treat today. That was Matt C.'s voice that you heard at the beginning of this episode. This is the story of a young man who found recovery, uh, as he says, on the inside. In other words, he was in prison. And while he was in prison, there was a couple of sponsors there with him who helped him to find recovery. Uh, At one point, Matt's world was reduced to an 8 by 12 cell, uh, but today he walks a free man and he is free in more ways than one. Um, so one of my favorite parts of the episode is when he, in more kind of a lighthearted piece, uh, he discovered moonshine and how economical that moonshine can be. Um, on a more serious note, he had a, a, a horrific auto 
accident, and he talks about how they uh, put Humpty Dumpty back together again after that accident, but it came at a cost because uh, in rehab, uh, he came across pain pills, and that took him on a, uh, a journey that he did not want to go on. So um, before we get started here today, I have a couple of uh, letters, a couple of uh, listener feedback emails, I should say, and uh, Sue writes in. Sue says, Tim S. was and is the best speaker uh, slash meeting I have ever heard, maybe ever. He made so much sense to me, just absolute sense. Powerful words. Thank you, Tim. Thank you, John. Um, and for those uh, who want to find that episode, it's the episode actually right before this. Uh, it's uh, episode number 40S, excuse me, 40S. Uh, it's episode number 46. It's called Tim S. of Sober Nation, Make It to Midnight. Um, Jackie writes in and Jackie says, uh, she's talking to me. She says, I heard your interview, John M on the bubble hour and immediately downloaded your podcast. I listened to a few other sobriety podcasts, but yours stands out in a way that is uh, so close to a real meeting. Uh, I am only able to make one or two meetings a week because of my work schedule, but absolutely love that you offer this, quote, meeting between meetings. I especially appreciate the women on your podcast. Just finished listening to the Mary B episode. So much wisdom, she says in capital letters. I've been in the rooms, uh, of AA since July 2016, but feel like I am just getting with the program and I am loving discovering a new connection to my higher power. Thank you from the bottom of my heart in all cap letters. I appreciate the work that you and your wife are doing for the rest of us. Much love, Jackie E. from Northern California. Well, Jackie E., much love back at you. I sure do appreciate you listening to our podcast, and uh, I hope that we can play a some small part in your sobriety, and God bless you. You hang in there. Now, we're on to Mr. Matt C. Enjoy. Okay, so we are sitting here with Mr. Matt C. from Nashville, Tennessee. So, Matt, why don't you go ahead and uh, introduce yourself, give you sobriety date, let folks know some uh, general information about yourself. Sure. Thanks, John. Uh, hey, everybody. My name's Matt, and I am an alcoholic. And my sobriety date's May 1st of 2008. Home group is the Wake Up Group in uh, Nashville, Tennessee. And uh, I have a sponsor who has a sponsor, and I also have the privilege of uh, sponsoring other other men in this, this uh, program. Why do they call it the Wake Up Group? Do you have any idea? We meet at 7 a.m. Tuesday and Thursday. And we'd love to have you. If you're ever in the, the West Nashville area, please come by. We have some coffee, hot, 
and uh, ready for you. <laughs> okay. So it's the wake up group because you meet early in the morning. That sounds good. All right. So just kind of by way, I just want to let folks know how Matt and I came across each other here. Last summer, Matt was a, when I say last summer, for those of you listening to this, this would that would be the summer of 2018 at the end of July, beginning of August. Matt was a speaker at the Crested Butte Conference, and and that's Crested Butte, Colorado. We have a whole episode we did on that. You can go back and listen to it with me and Steve G at some point. But um, I was at that conference, both myself and my family, but I had to leave on Thursday morning. And Matt, uh, unfortunately for me, was scheduled to speak Thursday night. So I did not get to see him. And my friend Steve G, uh, who is on the board there at the Crested Butte Conference, said, man, you missed a dynamite speaker. I wish you didn't have to leave. And he gave me his tape. Uh, I listened to Matt's tape, and we started kind of communicating back and forth. And uh, so I wanted to have Matt on the program here today. So anyway, that's how we came across each other. I asked Matt to be on the program. So Matt, I'm going to kind of, uh, I mean, the whole purpose of this is to listen to your story, uh, you know, hear what you were like, what happened and what you're like today. So I'm going to kind of back out here for a moment, let you start where you want to start uh, regarding your journey in Alcoholics Anonymous, and I may ask some questions here and there. But uh, Matt, where do you want to start with this story, my friend? Well, I'd like to start at the beginning for, uh, if not, I might get lost bouncing around, and and, uh, but we'll see. I always like to... uh, to invite the power into this and, and hopefully at my very best, I can be a channel of that love and uh, something will, will come out that needs to come out. Um, it is a pleasure though. And it's always an honor to do anything for Alcoholics Anonymous. So thanks again for, for, for asking me to do this. And uh, um, I was born in a, in the Northeast and we moved around a couple three different states by the time I was four years old. And that was always causing me to to wonder when we were going to be moving next and possibly difficult. um, You know, had some effect on my my ability to form relationships with other people because I was always wondering when we're going to leave. And this finally, we finally settled in, in North Carolina when I was, like I said, around four or five years old. And from the outside of everything was, you know, great with my family. I mean, I had a great um, upbringing. They taught me morals and values and had a, a younger sister that came along when I was around three. Um, and um, all of that stuff, you know, is, uh, it's great. I mean, uh, it doesn't necessarily make me an alcoholic. When I was even, uh, you know, younger, right around three or four, I, my mom told me in recent years that I came up to her and, and asked, well, where, where am I, where's my real family? I know that I'm adopted and, and I need to know where they are. 
And she just looked at me like as a parent would look at a three or four year old and just shook their head. Like, you know, what are you talking about? I've, uh, I've since done some research and, and looked at the, uh, the photos and it lines up. They are who they say they are. <laughs> they're not, they weren't lying to you after all. No, they weren't. But in my mind, uh, there was something off. I didn't belong. I wasn't a part of and the, I don't even remember that happening, but she told me, and this, so this was, you know, at a very young age, there was, there was uh, something mentally going on where I, I just, I felt apart from. And, and even that doesn't really necessarily qualify me as an alcoholic. Um, it's very common. I've heard other um, speakers, other, you know, men and women who've shared the same feeling of apart, partness, but for myself, um, that doesn't make me an alcoholic. Uh, it does say, you know, a little bit about what was going on before my first drink and going that, that I'll just jump right into that because, uh, at 12, I had a, my first spiritual awakening and it was as a result of finding my friend, uh, my best friend at the time, his mom's stash of Shmirnoff vodka. <laughs> and I say we were finding it. That, that makes me think that we were looking for it for a while, that we were actually we were seeking it. We just didn't happen across it, but we found that and, um, poured off, you know, uh, enough for each of us and in, in our respective uh, bottles and, and went off into the woods as we did when we were younger and opened the, uh, opened the top and put it down. And, and I thought for a moment that we got the wrong stuff and that it was rubbing alcohol because my upper chest my throat and upper chest just ignited and then two seconds later the, the thing happened and uh and I, all of a sudden this warm sensation came over me and, and I, I just i remember laying there and, and in the woods rolling around in the leaves just thinking man this is just this is just great uh, finally i could just be i could just be and instead of having to be somebody else or trying to you know fit in somehow um be what be what i thought you wanted me to be i could just be who i was and it was this, this sense of freedom that i had not known up for those first 12 years and um, i just I, I couldn't wait to do it again uh, i i do remember waking up the next morning and not feeling my best but that didn't matter the physical consequences were nothing compared to what it did for me at that at that moment and being 12 my, my resources to getting more were limited we obviously didn't want to take too much of, of her stash because she would find out and and so we had to be resourceful and, and find other 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 people's uh caches of, of vodka and or other other substances and, and that's kind of where it started and that summer you know i'm I was introduced to some other things and had me laughing more than I'd ever laughed in 12, 12 years. And, and I was just like, gosh, you know, this is it. Like, I want to be, I want to live like this forever. And if I could, John, if I could have felt like that, that night forever, it, I, I, you wouldn't, you would have a different person on your show you know, on this uh, thing today. I tried, trust me, I did. And I, I tried to, to keep that, that buzz, if you will, um, going, but I could not find that healthy balance. And, uh, 
whatever that is. Um, I couldn't find it. Um, consequences were minimal. I didn't really face any serious trouble um, in my early uh, teens. Um, you know, I, I was playing sports pretty uh, competitively, soccer in particular. I was really, uh, really good there, gifted, and put a lot of time and energy into it. And I was starting to get good, good results and had opportunities to play and. Uh, Division one, if I had continued on the path and would have not, wouldn't have gotten injured, obviously, you know, this would have been feasible. But I had, I had found something that was more powerful than, than even the thrills of victory and the thrill of uh, hard work and, you know, team sports success. Um, and that was, you know, it was alcohol and it became my best friend. And it was every, it was, it wasn't a, uh, in my early years during high school, I wasn't a daily drinker per se. I mean, I would have, have a couple beers at lunch. Um, but that, you know, I didn't consider that a problem. My, uh, my teachers were, were a little, you know, um, different to that. They, they, uh, they didn't like the fact that I had alcohol on my breath when I came back from lunch break. And <laughs> that wasn't a real popular thing in, in my high school, apparently. Um, so I, I got in a little bit of trouble with school. And as a result, I had to, to um, I bounced around to a couple different high schools. Let me just say that. And somewhere along that period of time, I crossed over that invisible line uh, that, that our, our book talks about. Um, where I, I have a choice and I lost, I lost the choice you know, over alcohol. And I don't know when it was, but at, at certain, at a certain point, I really thought that, Oh, I can control this or I, I can choose whether I, you know, I go out or I don't, or I, I take a drink or I don't, but that, that's just not the case. Um, I began living to drink and it had no longer become a, a a luxury it just became a part of my daily routine and my my uh, my existence was always thinking about the next one how can we recreate that and there were some great fun times you know like i don't want to you know my 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 active alcoholism as it was um wasn't always uh dark and uh, cold and demoralizing as it would become there were some great times and i don't want to shy away from that because uh you know if there weren't any good times i probably wouldn't have taken on to it like a professional full-time <laughs> job but i um i just you know i noticed that certain things were were not conducive to my drinking like for example school um, I just, so I stopped going, you know, instead of actually like, you know, controlling my drinking, I just would control, you know, my education. And by that, just by not going would be enough for me to continue to do what I wanted to do. I thought I was, I was smart. And um, I get, um, at this point, I'm like, say I'm 17. Um, I got to tell you this, this story because it, it kind of sets up my first, my first, uh, meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous and um, 
I had a, a brand new car my parents had got for me because I was on my way to play Division One soccer. And I have this car full of friends. We leave the pre-party on the way to the party. Most people don't go to a pre-party on the way to the party. I thought it was an <laughs> economical way to drink. And um, at least it would give me, you know, uh, put me in the right, right, the right mind frame to, uh, to handle large crowds. But anyways, we're driving and I'm, I'm showing off for these uh, people. There's a, a guy and two, two or three girls in the car and I punch it and I start going really fast and uh, go right through a stop sign, come over this embankment, come crashing down and uh, airbags deployed and everything. It's really a, um, you know, traumatic event. And my first instinct was to open the door, but I couldn't because it was caved in. So I did what, you know, a good, good old boy in North Carolina would do and jump out the window like a NASCAR driver and uh, start, start running down the road. This is a dark rural road and, and uh, in the County somewhere. And, and I, uh, I got about 25 feet down the road and, and I realized it was really dark and I couldn't see much and I wasn't going to continue going. And I looked back and, and there was my car with the smoke and everything. And I, I mean, I had no concern whatsoever for those um, other passengers. I had no concern whatsoever besides for anybody but myself. And, and that's just, I mean, that's just a snapshot of my life, you know, at that point in time, this is all about me. And when, things hit the fan, you know, I run and I don't care what I have to do to get to the ground, you know, jump out of a window, you know, jump through fire or whatever. I have, I got to go. And, and so thankfully, um, by the grace of God, you know, I, nobody was seriously injured and there was another car coming right behind us from the pre-party that was empty. It was a station wagon. So we all were able to jump in there and this was before the days of cell phones. So I had to wait till I got to the party to call home and uh, and i did and i called and said hey mom you wouldn't believe it somebody stole my car and she's like no i don't think so and the police are here they already told me what happened oh, so, yeah. well <laughs> she's like i need you to be back there at the accident uh, we're on our way so i was like all right well i do like what we do and, and i had to put a couple down and i went back to the uh, to the accident and uh the officers there there was two i'll never forget they said, you know, son, have you had anything to drink tonight? And I said, no, officer, I'll be honest. I did have one um, after the accident, but you know, <laughs> I haven't had any before. And he looked at me and he said, that's a good answer. And I was like, you know, I know it is. I don't know where it came from, but I was, I was really, that was, that was. And I, uh, you know, I got a slap on the wrist because of that. And um, in an in a, in a, in a instant, I could have, taken my life or let alone even somebody else's um and it for it was just you know what there was no issue whatsoever i just had to keep going i just had this little incident now i don't have a car two months later i'm i borrow my parents car and i go out to have my first uh, drinks at any um this private club downtown raleigh and and i had some older friends that got me in and i was able to uh, to drink in public for my first time. So this was a big deal. You know, I put on a nice shirt, had my sh you know, pants and nice shoes on and, and I go and go to the bar and, and I'd already rehearsed in my head because I'm really good at, you know, putting on a front as if I, I belong there. So I rehearsed scenarios in my head to make sure. And I went to the bar and ordered a makers and ginger and 
I had had my first one, and just as that one was was uh, I was getting done with that, I ordered the second one, and I noticed that they were these older uh, blondes. They were probably about twenty three years old at the time, and um, they were down at the other end of the bar, and I was just you know after that first and going into my second one, I thought it was a great time to go uh, to go to speak with them and let them know where I've been the last twenty plus years of their life. And <laughs> so we went over and we just, uh, we started laughing and I don't know if they were laughing at me or with me, but I, it was all, it didn't matter. I was having fun. And, and, uh, we ended up going back to their place and then we hung out there for a while and then we ended, had to get back up to the North side of town for some more, um, you know, for reasons to, uh, what people do it early in the morning. And, and we, uh, we were going down the road and I remember for the first time actually seeing a um, flashlight in, in the side mirror. And this wasn't the last time I would ever see a, side, a flashlight, but it, it usually is never a good thing. No. And it ended up being a, yeah, a police officer. They asked me to pull over and, and uh, I didn't really understand that apparently or something happened. And, and anyways, I finally pull over and I realized <clears throat> I, I missed something in driver's ed uh, or they didn't, they, they withheld some key information and that is that you can get pulled over going under the speed limit. <laughs> and I didn't get that. I don't know if, if they taught that to you and your, your <laughs> but I'm, I got pulled over going 15 and a 35 or if it was going left to center, but they they didn't slap me on the wrist. They threw me in jail and um, for my first DUI. And I'm at 17 years old. I realized something. I did not like jail. That it it was not at all part of my uh, makeup. This isn't where I was uh, supposed to be living. But I do what I do when I got into trouble and I pick up the phone and I call home and I was like, hey, you know, I'm in jail and and uh, I need you to come pick me up. And my dad picked up the phone. He said, I'm sleeping. I'll think about it in the morning. Click. <laughs> so that was my reality at, at three o'clock in the morning. I had a few more hours to hopefully, you know, um, to, to hang out in jail. But, um, next day or so, whenever he did come to pick me up and I got home, um, my thought was, uh, all right, well, let's see what I have to do to get through this because I'm always going to do what I need to do to get to what I need to get. And, um, I'll think I'm going to outthink this situation. How am I get through it? And luckily this was at a time when, um, DUIs weren't as costly as they are these days. Uh, luckily, I guess I should, I don't know, but it is, it was only, it was a lesser, lesser uh, financial burden. And as a result, uh, because I was 17 too, they just required me to go to this assessment to get this alcohol assessment. And, uh, this was like a standardized test for my lifestyle. And I didn't really like standardized tests, but I was pretty smart. So I, I went ahead and, and I um, told them what I think thought they needed to hear to get them off my back and ended up failing the test and, uh, or passing it, depending on, I guess, who's side <laughs> depending you're on. on the perspective. Um, yeah. It's, uh, and they ended up sending me to, uh, they said, you, you know, you have to go to the A and A. And I was like, <laughs> hey, hey, what? Like, <laughs> to go to AA? Like, this is but whatever, if I have to do it to get you off my back, then I will. And, and so I did. And, and, um, on a 
random night. I don't remember what time. I, I presume it was in the winter time. Just that's the course of events. But I go into this small uh, church basement in in uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, and and uh, you could smoke back then, and it was so <clears throat> smoky in this little basement that I couldn't see really any of the people in there at the time. <laughs> I knew I could hear them and I could see the shadows, but I couldn't actually see the faces. <laughs> close and uh when i did uh when i did i noticed one thing that was really obvious that these people were old like really <laughs> really really old um, grandma grandpa you know like um, tales from the crypt kind of coming out the grave kind of old just to, and and i thought that you know what they maybe they um they might have been you know, the first hundred, one or at least some of them. Some of the first one hundred. Like, these are these are some old timers, and and that and who knows? I mean, they could have been 40, 50 years old in in real life, but in my mind, that was they were way way old. These are the alcoholics that are drinking out of brown paper bags, and you know, thank God you are in the rooms of AA and not out driving around, and you know, and uh, so that's. You know, um, that was my first meeting. And, and what I remember is, is at the end that, you know, said, hey, you know, keep coming back. And I said, yeah, yeah, I will make sure to see you in about 50 years or something like that. You just, you know, be good. Don't, uh, <laughs> don't, uh, don't drive, you know, too much because, you know, but I'm, I'm glad you're here. But me, I'm not an alcoholic. You know, that's, that's impossible um, because I had no idea. I mean, I'm uh I'm still suffering, you know, from just this delusion that I can wrest satisfaction out of life if only I manage it well. I mean, if only I continue to get my way, then everything's okay. And it's funny is because let's look at how many times I've gotten my way and things still aren't okay. But I don't, I don't put the pieces of the puzzle together because, I, like I told you, I'm, I'm a pretty intelligent guy and just smart enough to get myself into a lot of trouble. <laughs> and so that was, you know that was my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous at 17 years old. And, and uh, I had no plans to ever see you guys again. I really was, was just kind of dealing with some legal stuff now. So I just had to, you know, not do whatever the, the system told me to do. And I'd love to tell you that that was the last time I ever picked up a drink and drove again, or that was the last time I ever had to be um, incarcerated. That's just not, that's not my story. Um, I would continue on doing what I needed to do to get what I needed to get to feel the way I needed to feel and um, would cause a lot of um, a lot of uh, people harm and a lot of harm to myself and through the midst of it it just it didn't seem I knew that I, was, I mean I knew that these weren't the actions that I was growing up I was taught and, and these weren't the principles that I was, I was taught as a kid, but it just seemed like the right, you know, it, it was the only normal life. I didn't know. I didn't know that there were, you know, people like me in churches just like that and others, you know, that were, that had a new way to live life. Um, because in my mind, as long as I could get, you know, that bottle, as long as I could feel okay, then everything else will sort itself out. And there wasn't anything that I could do so bad that 
another drink wouldn't help me to forget. And this cycle was consistent, you know, and, and it was constant. And because um, God forbid, I actually had to feel the way I felt after doing some of the things that we have to do to continue to feel the way we feel. And um, so from, from 17, you know, I got in some more trouble and, and I'm still hasn't graduated high school. And so they send me out to the mountains. Um, my dad had taken on a new job out there. So they thought, you know, a geographical cure would work. And so I was all about traveling. And, and uh, as you can tell from my um, previous, you know, experience, I, I took the opportunity and went and um, I found exactly what I was looking for in the mountains of North Carolina. That's a, um, instead of uh, drinking whiskey, I was uh, turned on to uh, moonshine. And this was the stuff that I got from a, a local moonshiner in, in a box. And uh, it was a, uh, it was a great, a great economical way to drink as well. And uh, <laughs> I hope nobody else is out there still drinking, but what I used to do and, and I thought it was a good idea in hindsight was I used to give this, uh, give quartz uh, to my friends and, um, as a gift because they wouldn't drink it, but I could keep it and I'd be planning it basically in their freezers or in their, their house. Um, so that next time I visited, I knew that there would be some there. <laughs> um, but in, in the spirit of being a nice guy, you know, I'm still thinking about myself. So I get to, um, I get out there and, and um, I'm starting to work, you know, and making good money. And uh, it's like, well, who needs to go to school when you have money? You know, like people also stop looking at you. If you have a job, they stop giving you a hard time. You just get off my back and let me do what I want to do. And so here I am, I'm making money. I'm doing okay. I'm getting to travel, you know, and, and uh, things are going well. And, and I, uh, we do, we'd snowboard and, and go skiing and stuff in the wintertime and in the summer and the spring. We would longboard very long uh, skateboard basically. And, and this one night I, uh, I was out with a, my roommate at the time and I go down this hill. Now it's, it's early in the morning, late at night, whatever. And, and I, I wasn't drunk, but I had a couple and just enough to maybe try something that I wouldn't have done normally. And, and uh, I get going down this hill and it's a new, it's a new path that I've never gone down before. And, and I'm going too fast at the bottom to do a power slide. And I go right through a stop sign and hit head to concrete. I don't remember much, but that's all I know that, uh, and when the, um, when my friend finally got down, I was, uh, was basically, you know, dead on arrival. The, uh, the ambulance came, picked me up, took me to the hospital and they put Humpty Dumpty back together again. But I, obviously I made it, but it wasn't without, um, a series of miracles and um, long three months, four months of rehabilitation. Uh, I had to learn how to walk, how to talk and all of these things again and put shoes on the right feet. And it's a uh, nothing, you know, but another, you know, nothing but the hand of God coming down and, and helping, you know, do th something for me I could do for myself. Uh, I tell you that story. Um, two things. One is I got picked up from my buddy, my old roommate. And, um, he handed me a, you know, the flask and uh, one of these medicinal cigarettes that weren't quite me um, medicinally great uh, <laughs> back then. And, uh, you know, I went right back to it. And now I had a high powered uh, pain medication to, to 
moderate my drinking because you didn't have to drink as much when you were um, heavily medicated for legitimate pain. Um, the other really, the really important piece of that whole story is uh, I haven't once, and it's been almost, um, yeah, it's been several, over 10 years. Um, I haven't even once thought about stepping on a skateboard again. It never even has, it never even sounded like a good idea. I mean, I wasn't a bad skateboarder either, but how many times have I gotten beat down and hit my bum, bum on drinking and had no defense of picking up the next drink? I mean, I have sufficient evidence. I mean, I was what our book would call a, um, a problem skateboarder. Um, you know, I, with sufficient reason, I could stop skateboarding. But with this alcohol stuff, no way. I mean, I didn't. I couldn't see that there was any reason to stop um, because for me, it's not a problem. You know, drinking's a solution. And until I could find a new solution, I was going to continue to drink and continue to uh, to give everything that I'd received away. Um, for just for one more that's night i'm 19 years old and i have sufficient reasons to, to not pick up another drink but i don't have the choice um, i've lost that and so i continue to do what we do and that from the next several years um were some of the darkest years of my life and i'm not going to go into great depth i began to compromise every value and principle that i was taught as a child um, and began, you know, um, the dishonesty, the uh, integrity. You know, I was having a hard time keeping jobs. I was in and out of um, places that I couldn't get out of. You know, like um, you go in voluntarily, you know, to to hide out or to take it easy, take you know a load off for a couple of days, and then they keep you uh, against your will when you try to leave. Uh, I've been in those places, and the freedoms that I had enjoyed up to this point have begun to, uh, to begin to give them away. And, um, the last thing that I had hadn't really tried was, um, to get into a relationship now, cause up to this point, I'm just kind of, you know, wasn't really just flopping around, not really having, not, didn't really have any commitment. So then I was like, well, you know, maybe a girlfriend, she'll, she'll fix me if there's anything wrong. And I, so there was this, young woman who um who just got out of prison and um was like you're it and um that's the the sick part about this is that was what attracted me to her i mean her physical features obviously but the uh the fact that she had just gotten out was a um it told me that she was living in the dark. Like I was like in, in the dark. Like we both were in the same place. I could trust this type of person. <laughs> um, that was not, that was me. That was my best thinking at the time. Um, I, um, no, uh, it, I found that it was impossible to, to, um, because towards the end, you know, we, we had, um, uh, noticed that our, lifestyle choices were getting us into some trouble and um, we tried on a couple of occasions to stop and uh, found it impossible to get her sober keep her sober as well as myself and um, what i know now is that i don't even have the power to keep myself sober let alone somebody else that has to be a power greater than myself 
Um, but again, you know me, I'm, I'm going to try to reach for everything I can to make this, this hole in, inside of me fill with, with just being okay, with comfort. And, and she did it for a little bit. She, along with lots of other, um, you know, whatever, whatever we could get would make the pain go away. And there were a couple nights and she was, you know, maybe she was gone at this point or no, she was whatever. And I, I was in this motel room just wanting to, to not wake up the next day and would be so disappointed when I'd open my eyes and see the sunlight. Didn't want to live anymore. I know that there was, there was enough, you know, I had done things that, you know, I didn't want to do and, and I just wasn't really happy with myself and wanted to go and just not wake up the next day. But I couldn't, no matter what, I couldn't put down enough, couldn't consume enough poison to, to make that ever happen. And I'm thankful for, for that today. But um, at the same time, I never want to forget that pain. And on a couple of occasions, you know, actually I went into a treatment center and got um, a little um, relief, you know, for 14 days or 30 days or what have you. And, and, uh, then I got home and uh, I went to a meeting cause that's what they said to do is to go to a meeting. And then I got I sat in the rooms of AA and I felt just as crazy and just as, um, diseased as I was sitting in that motel room wanting to die because I wasn't doing what those men and the women were doing in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I was just sitting there like a wallflower, hoping to get what they were, what they had. Um, I had a, uh, a sponsor or at least I got a sponsor, but what I realize now is that I just had a phone number. Um, there's a big difference between a, a sponsor and a phone number. Um, <laughs> phone number is a good place to start, but it's, uh, you know, there has to be a, a, a phone call and you know meetings and and so i'm wondering why i'm sitting in these rooms and i just feel miserable i mean it's only a matter of time before i take my next drink and then um you know it would happen and i could never get more than 50 days together you know and that's even including a 30-day you know being with you know locked down and um my last go around um i i would get sober or i'd get dry i would i would uh, get a job like some temporary work or something like that and, and i would start getting some things back like i get a paycheck and then my first thought was well let me uh let me go get her out of jail so i went and pay her bond and then i was like let's go have some let's go have some lunch and we went out for lunch and it was this mexican restaurant and um I was eating nachos as customary for an appetizer and I just got really thirsty. <laughs> so oh, the no. next thought was a Corona. I mean, now again, I have about 54 days and uh, didn't have defense over the first drink. And it was just a natural thing. Cause Corona, I mean, that like hardly has any alcohol in it, right? <laughs> that's I what just, I hear. Yeah. That's, you know, I mean, that's what I'm thinking and <laughs> could justify and rationalize it all the time. And, and uh, then came the next Corona and, and, by the time our lunch was served, uh, some Jose Cuervo was introduced. Or, um, and then I don't remember the rest of uh, the meal. And all I know is that the next 
three weeks um, started what I prayed and, and uh, is my last spree, both of alcohol, drinking and um, with the criminal variety. Because when I start to drink, I lose all perception of, of, of the codes of conduct that I just don't care. Like I turn into a, uh, a different person and I'm going to do whatever I have to do to get what I need to get to do it and you know, to feel the way I need to feel. So we go on and we go home. Um, we're on our, on, on the spree and, and uh, I'm running out of clothes and I need to, uh, to say goodbye to my mom and my dog. Cause they're really the only two people that would have anything to do with me. I'd already, I hurt my dad too much, I guess, and he just was done. He had already washed, you know, washed his hands. And but I went home, and, and uh, we uh, we were sleeping in. You know, I wasn't homeless. I was sleeping in a '96 uh, Buick Century. It was um, it was you know, it wasn't too bad. It was a little small for two people, but we uh, we made it. Work. Um, but I had to go home because I needed to get a change of clothes, and so I did. And we went to. Uh, um, had to call in at the gate and and I went to uh, to get to get some things from my mom's house and as as we were driving through this gated community my parents lived in I get we get pulled over I get escorted from my vehicle to the back of one of theirs and I'm sitting in the back and within a minute for me getting pulled out of this car there's a whole row of uh, like undercover detectives and agents and there's a dog in my car and he's not my dog and i don't know how this all happened but it was just like a snap of a finger and i am um, i'm looking back there watching all of this go down and then here comes my mom driving because she's she was wondering where where i was and i had called in 20 20 minutes prior and I see her talk, put their window down and talk with one of the uh, detectives. And, and then I saw her drive by. Um, and the only thing I can describe it as I've unfortunately have, have witnessed is a, is a mother standing over her son's, um, her son's casket, the, the sadness and the, uh, the pain disgust that was in her face it, it looked like she was she was mourning her her uh her son and and um and there was something inside of me that broke right there that day that i didn't know that i still had and it it, it cried out not involuntarily it said god you know help me i don't know how i can uh, i don't know how i'm going to continue to live like this you know i'm ready to do whatever it takes and the weirdest thing happened and, and for for some reason those people in AA came to my mind and I don't have many prayers that are answered that fast and that's why prayer has been uh, something I have to continue to work on because I don't get answers that fast but the um, that was pretty clear and I'd love to tell you that you know I went to my first meeting that day and I've been an active home group member ever since but that was um, that was a pretty pretty uh, clear direction. And at this time, I'm 23 years old, and I'm um, I get put in a federal detention facility. I'm facing 929 months for a series of um, felony charges that have 
accrued over the last you know two years three years of, of time and that all kind of this is like you know everything is coming together and, and um, so it wasn't looking very good for the home team and and I just remember sitting in there and just thinking to myself like this is it you know this is this is what it looks like and it always it always uh And this would be, this is my this would become my um, the beginning of of my um, sobriety and and I just remember going to uh, the phone and not having anybody to, to call but I needed I only had ten minutes to get out of my cell I was on twenty three hour fifty minute lockup every day but I just I would just sit there at the phone but I didn't have anybody to call and. Um, um, I just sit there and uh, just just be able to look at this is my life and and then a man came to a jail and uh, he was a member of Alcoholics Anonymous and he came and and uh, he brought a meeting to to us and I don't remember much of what was said in those first meetings um, I do remember one thing that uh, after the meeting he would leave and he'd get in the elevator and He'd go down, I guess, his his cars, go home to his family and his dog or whatever. And you know, I would uh, I would go back to my my world, which at the time was the size of um, you know a bathroom, eight eight by twelve. I was just I you know that was attraction, and and uh, that was that was it. So you know, for those who are you know on the front lines and taking meetings and you know facilities, treatment, corrections, otherwise, I mean. Uh, it's not so much always what, what you say, but it's just being there and being present. And, uh, you know, it, people like myself, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one. And that guy was, was showing me a sermon by the way that he, he suited up and showed up and, and carried the message. Um, fast forward, I, you know, I ended up, thankfully, obviously, I'm not in, in prison today. I ended up getting a, another gift and and um ended up just doing um two years just under two years and in state penitentiary the uh one of the things that happened was while i was waiting to to get to for my trial my dad uh, found out that he was um diagnosed with this rare form of cancer and given 18 months to live so they found it somehow in their you know in their bank to uh i don't know how they did it but they helped me to get a lawyer that wasn't you know just a public defender and that's part par- partially if not all of the reason why i didn't end up having to to go away for forever and um and so i'm, I'm i get on down the road and i'm in, in a, a maximum security prison for the first bit and this Scary place to be. I wouldn't recommend going. Uh, for a 23-year-old, I um, saw some things I can't unsee and, and uh, heard some things I can't unhear. Um, but by the grace of God, you know, I wasn't put in a position where I had to actually, you know, defend myself. Um, I just learned how to pray with my eyes open. And I found Alcoholics Anonymous inside the walls. Um, I found um, after my, that first facility, I got moved to another one, and I got to uh, 
to really get plugged in. It was my first home group. And there I found my sponsor. I found uh, Terry. He was, you know, similar, you know, um, so similar story, totally different background. Um, he was doing 15 years and, and had been in already for 11 and had walk, was walking around like a man with dignity. And, and there was something really attractive about that. So I kind of went in and was just asked him, you know, if he'd be my sponsor and followed, followed what he did. We'd sit out on the yard every Sunday and he would read the, read the book and I would listen. And, and, um, and then that, that, that's when things started to change for me when I was finally at a point where I was ready to listen. And even though I really wanted to read and I told him this a few times that, you know, Terry, I can read, you know, and he's like, you know, I, that's okay. You know, we need you to listen. You know, that's, you can't read and listen at the same time. So just take the cotton out of your ears, put it in your mouth. And he was, he was really uh, not so nice, but in a very kind and gentle way and like exactly how I needed it at that time. Um, said these are the steps we took, you know, and took me under his wing. And, and uh, there's a lot of other men who I was getting sober with who had a long-term sobriety who are, who are still inside and don't have dates, you know, have so much, so much gratitude in my heart for them. Um, and it's part of the reasons why I try to do this, you know, when I'm able to, because there's, there's lots of, of men who've helped me along the way who aren't, who aren't able to, um, to be here today, to, uh, to be at some of the places I've gotten to go, um, since I've gotten sober. And, um, but thanks to the man, the men and the women who come to a jail, you know, um, Terry, my sponsor had a sponsor that was an outside guy. And so he was kind of, you know, Terry was giving me what, what, uh, Dean, his, his sponsor was giving him. And then I was, you know, began to work with some other guys and, and, uh, as the time came, but as, as Terry and I were going through the steps, um, he, he made a couple observations that were really, really important to me, and especially, you know, and in, in going into the first step, you know, see, I, I still had a couple things. I thought, I don't know if they're really there or not, but, um, like, you know, I had a couple nice suits, you know, the ones that my mom was going to bury me in. Um, I had, uh, had a car, which was impounded, but, and, and Terry was really, you know, said, Hey, you know, um, do you, decide when the lights go out at night. And I was like, you know, no, he's like, looks like the state is managing your life for you right now. So you're, you can, you can get off this idea that you, you're, you're doing well managing your life right now. Um, <laughs> I knew that I was powerless over alcohol. Some of the things I did um, while drinking and, and to, to get that next drink were, were evidence to me that I, I do not have the power to not take that next drink. Um, and, and as we go along through the steps, you know, it, it, things started to shift. My mind began to, uh, to look at things a little bit differently. And, um, and as I get in through, you know, um, doing, doing the inventory and then, I get to to, uh, to sit down on the yard with Terry and, and go over this inventory with him and, and we go through six and seven. And um, when it came to my eight step list, you know, that was, that was going to be, you know, a lot of people who, who I need to, to owe amends to. But luckily the, the, 
the book kind of gives us directions on how do, how do we outline those? How do we lay those down? And, and Terry and I went through and said, okay, this person is going to be now, later, never. And um, this person's now, later, and so forth. And um, when, when we went through it, Terry said, now, for those at Iowa Men's to now, that means when I get released, which was still over a year away. And I said, okay, fair enough. And it just so happened that right around that time, I got moved to another facility. And at this facility, I have um, a new sponsor. He had already knew I was coming because of the way that AA works. You know, it's uh, we're everywhere um, on the outside and in the inside. And, and uh, his name was Juan. And Juan said, um, we went back through the first seven, you know, got level set there and then Juan and I got to uh look at the eight step he said now means now you need to get a piece of paper and a pencil and start writing some letters I was like all right you got it and and so we did and, and I had a opportunity to uh, make amends to some people like my dad who was you know his health was continuing to get worse but I was able to make amends to him directly um one-on-one -on -one during the visit but for people like my mom who uh, wouldn't come to visit me and uh, she was at the top of the list and for, for writing a letter. And so I did and, and I followed the directions that Juan had showed me in the book and look, mom, you know, this is, I mean, and literally I did everything possibly to harm this woman, except for physically um, put my hands on her. Um, and I just, you know, I need to know what I can do right now to make, you know, to set right these wrongs and um, just send it out. And I, I, you know, some time passed and there I go, I get a letter and I open it up and it's, it's a response. And she says, um, you know, Matt, the only thing that we want from you is for you to love yourself. Like we love you. And that hit, that hit, hit something inside of me. And, um, just began to weep and it's not really a cool thing to do when you're in prison, but I couldn't help it. And I just let it go. <laughs> and, and luckily it wasn't, a, I wasn't in a, uh, an area at the time where it was, uh, it was problematic and something so simple, but so powerful at the same time, I ended up uh, a couple few days later getting out onto the yard and walking out and, and just on a normal, you know, a normal uh, day on the weekend. And, um, I went up to the top of this hill and, and I remember looking out and seeing, uh, you know, there's nobody else out on the yard and I didn't see the, the Constantine wire, the barbed wire and the gun towers, they were all gone. And I'm just standing there out in, in the sunlight. And, and I realized that I was, I was a free, free man sitting inside of a medium security prison at the time. And I had this warmth that came over me and it was, it was a beautiful experience. And um, I, I realized that I'd been in prison well before I actually got to prison. I'd been living in this bondage of, of myself and of this disease of alcoholism for, for many, many years before I actually got there. But thanks now to the steps, thanks to, to, um, to developing this relationship with power greater than myself to trying to set right the wrongs that I've made and, and trying to give away what was freely given to me. 
I found freedom. And it's real. It's, it's, not, it's not a synthetic um, experience. And I've maintained that freedom since. Now, I don't say that I've, I've, every day is, you know, the sun is always at my back. I mean, this, this isn't, hasn't, been, hasn't been true. However, that freedom can't be taken from me. Um, there's a there's a man um, Victor Frankel who who wrote um, wrote a book. He was he was a uh, prisoner of war in, in a concentration camp back in the World War II, and um, he made this really interesting observation. And this this is uh, at at a, at a time where they pulled them out of out of uh, their lodging and, and they shaved all the hair off their body, all of of the men, and uh, even their eyebrows. And he's standing there just naked and, and cold and, and bald, like from head to toe. And he comes in, to this realization that, that things are going to happen and people and circumstances can take everything away from you, um, except for one thing. And that is the way that you respond. That is the one thing that no one can ever take from us. And I thought that was so profound and not to uh, compare our situations. Um, but the the spirit is is just the same, um, and is the same as it is today as it was eight years ago, um, and that's you know that's something that I continue to to uh, get to practice. It's not what's happening. You know, God isn't in the event; He's in the response. How am I going to respond? Am I going to bring love, or am I going to bring hatred? Am I going to bring understanding or am I going to bring, you know, justified rage? Um, how do I, how do I navigate through life? I didn't have the tools. I'd, I'd had no idea. And it wasn't that I didn't have great teachers. It's just that I wasn't ready to listen or I wasn't able to fulfill the, uh, the instructions. So I get to, I get to have this experience inside of prison and then I continue to, to, to go about my um, my life, finish my, my time. My dad keeps his word and he's able to pick me up, actually. Um, he wasn't, you know, he'd been through several radiation and chemos and everything, and he's still going to pick me up. He had, and him and his mom had since, him and my mom had since moved to uh, Tennessee, uh, right next to uh, North Carolina, but he made the trip. And um, when I got home, my, my plan was to get to a meeting that was that was it the stake the women the other stuff all of that stuff would come but my main focus was let me get to a meeting because i knew that anything else any other order of operations would likely place me back in a position where i would i would have a hard time um staying sober um so that's what i did and and i went to a meeting and, and i had to go through some hoops to get my probation and parole moved to uh to tennessee but thankfully um in the last facility i was at i had an outside um volunteer member of aa that was my sponsor and he uh he said something that was really interesting and he goes to prison so he doesn't have to go to prison and that was kind of blew my mind you know i didn't really understand that at the time i, I know that i know what he means a little bit more now but his name is bob he's from charlotte and bob said he knew a guy that knew a guy in Tennessee. 
I was happy to hear that they had AA in Tennessee. And now I know a guy that knows a guy that's in Tennessee. So I'm thinking like, this is the mob and you know, these guys are everywhere. <laughs> <clears throat> Great. You know, so Paulie's going to pick me up from, from the bus stop and we're going to get to work. Right. <laughs> well, it was kind of like that, but um, I was relieved to know that there was AA in Tennessee. And I went and um, I got a home group. Bob was still acting as my sponsor at the time. And, he, he uh, told me he was really big on getting commitments, you know, finding a home group and, uh, and being involved in, in service and finding guys to sponsor. And, uh, and that's what I did. And, and so I, I showed up and um, I basically just dove into Alcoholics Anonymous head first. And, and some of the things that have happened, you know, my dad ended up passing away um, a couple you know, a couple months after I got home, but in those months before um, he did go on, it we had some of the best conversations and we had some of the best um, just times, you know, where we didn't have to say anything, but we were together. Um, one night in particular, I remember um, uh, with his health not, you know, looking good, my, my AA birthday was in May and this was in, I don't know, February, I didn't, he wasn't going to make it to, to my, um, all right, this was in March. Yeah. He wasn't going to make it to two. And so I, um, I got him a, um, my one year medallion from my home group and I, um, sat on the couch and I gave it to him. Um, just like, Hey, here, I want you to have this. And, you know, he was looking at it and he realized what it was. And, uh, you would have thought I gave the man a 50 carat diamond. I mean, it was, um, he he didn't know any of you personally, um, but I'll tell you that he loves every single one of you because you uh, you gave him his son back, and I didn't want that. You know, I was just looking for a way to to not continue to spend my days in jail and in, in prison, continue to drink against my own will. Um, but I ended up becoming a son. Um, and, and I was able to be there for my mom and my sister when we, uh, we put them to rest, you know, and um, to be, to be present is a big deal for us. I mean, I'm, I'm always on my ne- always on the move and I can't sit still, um, especially when there's painful stuff going on, but you guys showed me how, how I can be present. And, um, and so I did. And at the same time I get to uh, start going to school because I was living at home and I didn't have it have to work immediately. Um, and I started going to school and took a couple classes and what do you know? I mean, I was, uh, I wasn't as, as uh, stupid as I thought I was. I mean, you show up and you do the work. It's, it's kind of, you know, it's a good recipe for getting, getting good grades. Um, I don't know. I didn't miss that. I, I miss, I must've missed that, that lesson in, in a previous life, but <laughs> I started going to school and, and I uh, began, began to, uh, to get involved um, um, at the same time with my, uh, my home group and getting involved in the service side of um, the triangle. And, and through, through learning about the traditions and through learning about the, uh, the concepts, and, you know, all three legacies, I have been given the tools to, to deal with people and to, to help me to understand how to be one um, 
chain in 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 the uh, in the whole one link in the chain, and and that's the uh, that's the gift. I, I just like anything, you know. If if two classes are good, then I might as well take four next semester. And I continued on that that cadence and ended up getting an associate's degree and wanted to go on and study at a private uh, school, a business school in uh, Nashville. And so, sure enough, I was able to transfer my credits and and I went and. I earned my bachelor's of uh, business administration and in, in, uh, in business at this, this business school. And um, I, I reached that goal because I set out, I set out to, uh, to head that direction and I suited up, I showed up, I did the work. Um, I showed up early. I stayed late. You know, I did the same things that I learned in, in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous in, uh, in higher education. And, you know, they won't kick you out if you, uh, if you do that. And, <laughs> <laughs> um, my last semester, um, one of my professors was saw my effort and my energy and my potential and what have you, and he nominated me for this scholarship to uh, study in France for my master's. And so three months from the time I graduate with my bachelor's, I'm on a plane um, to live in France for the next two years or a year and a half and study over there. Um, found a home group, you know, out there in, in Paris and uh, the, the beginners meeting, they meet there at 1030 on uh, Saturday mornings. I took a two hour train there on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Actually, 10 a.m. Great group of people. And, and I'm sitting in there, one of my first meetings in, in, in France. We sit there in an attic of this church and I'm sitting around and it's customary there for people to go around the room and introduce themselves, their sobriety date, where they're from. And um, I'm sitting there and people are, um, you know, Croatia. Germany, Seychelles, China. And there's people from all over the world, people just like me sitting in this room, in this, in this uh, church, this old church. And um, it took everything you know me. I just, you know, I wanted to, uh, to start crying because it's like, how, how, do, how, does, how does the man who's, whose world's the size of a, an eight by 12 um, cell get to get to go to a meeting and get to, to, to just live in a world where he's surrounded by people like him and in all places um, in France. And I mean, uh, I had so many moments like that where I just couldn't believe and still can't believe that this is actually my life. Um, there have been hardships. I mean, of course there's, there's things, this is all new and it's on, I'm learning as, I, as we go along and I'm leaning on, um, people like you and a lot of others who have uh, gone before me to uh, to learn, you know, how, like, what are you supposed to do when you ask somebody to marry, when you ask my wife to marry? Well, talk to her dad. Okay, well, that's that's good to know. And, and so I did. <laughs> uh, got married like a year and a half ago. And, and that's been a great, interesting, you know, adventure. And I mean, I'm just, I'm just really, you know, excited to see what's next. Because I, I I have a power in my life today. Um, I have this this uh, this relationship with God that is it surpasses me having to figure everything out. Um, just to keep it really simple, you know, I get to uh, to wake up each day, and then it's what what am I going to get? You know, what's my assignment? What would you have me do today? And some of the greatest gifts of my life have been 
simply by reaching out and seeing how I can help somebody else. I've been able to do some really amazing things. Do you have a big book near you by any chance? I do, yes. Perfect. Uh, I think it's page 150. It's in A Vision for You. I've heard you, I heard you read it at the end of the Crest Butte meeting about how uh, basically God can take these tattered lives of ours and turn them into something uh, that is useful. Would you mind reading that? 153. It may seem incredible that these men are to become happy, respected, and useful once more. How can they rise up out of such misery, bad repute, and hopelessness? The practical answer is that since these things have happened among us, they can happen with you. Should you wish them above all else and be willing to make use of our experience, we are sure they will come. The age of miracles is still with us. Our own recovery proves that. The age of miracles is still with us. Our own recovery proves that. Uh, And Matt, this has been, uh, I, I have just thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed uh, our time together. Um, is there anything you want to say before we close this out? No, just thanks again for the opportunity and um, for what you're doing and uh, carrying the message. God bless you, my thank friend. You. And thank you for being a, a part of this journey with me. I appreciate it. Uh, thank Absolutely. you, Matt C. It's been fantastic. I appreciate it. Thanks, John.